Uh, so, so guys, uh, this this morning, uh, we're gonna hear from Stacy, and uh, she's got a really unique kind of childhood and upbringing, and I want us to be able to start there, and and really so much of when we when we talked about what this time would look like was around just this experience of language, of perspective. Um, and how you have grown up and into adulthood just had this experience of hearing from God in ways that not everybody's had uh, a similar type of experience. So I'm really excited to get into that. So let's start with your your just childhood growing up as a missionary kid, uh, an MK, and uh, what what that was like, where you were, and kind of give us some context about what 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 that was like growing up for you. Sure. So um, I was actually born pretty close to here in North Arkansas, um, but when I was still a baby, we moved to North Texas. My parents were in the ministry. My dad was a youth pastor and some other different positions as well. But he had always wanted to be a missionary since he was a kid, and so that was kind of always the plan for our family. And when I was nine, um, I guess in about fourth grade, we moved to the Texas-Mexico border um, so that my parents could go to full-time language school and learn Spanish. Um, And then we actually stayed really close to there. Um, We stayed there all the way through high school for me. And um, we lived on the American side, but my dad mostly um, worked planting churches and doing some other ministries um, all along the border towns on the Mexican side. So that's kind of the context for where we were. Um, And I guess most of my memories surrounding that were pretty similar to, I think, most people who've grown up in ministry families. So there's just kind of this microscope feeling of like everything you do is kind of on display and you're expected to reflect all of the values, all the performance um, that your that your parents do. Um, And that honestly didn't really bother me too much. I feel like I've been a Christian since I was a baby, but I did actually walk an aisle and kind of go through the Baptist conversion experience when I was seven or so. Um, But my experience as a missionary kid, once we moved down to the border, um, I don't really remember the culture shock all that much because I was still really young. Um, But we moved to an area that's primarily Hispanic. Um, Almost everyone is bilingual to a certain degree. And... From there on, my experience is, is of one of being always on the fringes of every group. So I was never fully in any particular group. Um, before we started this morning, Jamin and I were talking about these like 90s teen movies with, that had these really strong stereotypes of like, you know, everyone's in the cafeteria and like you have your jocks and your nerds and like your cheerleaders. And there's just these really like distinct pockets of people. And I never fit into any of those. So I was a ministry kid. Um, so already kind of like different or expected to be a little more holy than everybody else. Um, and I was homeschooled almost the entire way through. We moved a lot and kind of because of some of the things that my parents believed at the time, I kind of had this like set apart education. And so homeschoolers, it's homeschooling is different now. I mean, we're all doing it at this point, but when I was growing up, (laughs) very different now, um, when I was growing up, homeschooling kind of had this air of like weirdness and like, there's just a strangeness about homeschoolers. Um, so I was always like way ahead academically and way behind with social skills. Um, 
I never got cultural references because I was homeschooled. Um, I lived outside majority white culture, and I didn't go to school with other kids. We didn't have cable. I didn't listen to secular music. So I was always kind of laughing at jokes that I didn't get um, and trying to participate, trying to be part of the group and never really feeling like I was. So I have these memories of being in, in middle school and like sneaking into my room and using a boombox to record songs from the radio on tapes, like from secular radio, like R&B songs um, or even like Tejano songs. Um, this is a very Texas thing, but Selena was a big deal when I was growing up. But I mean, I remember even recording like Tony Braxton on tapes and then like listening to it on a Walkman and feeling really like I was living dangerously <laughs> because I was listening to secular music and like enjoying dancing and like feeling the music. Um, so yeah, just like a struggle to, to fit in, to like come in from the fringes and be part of the group. And I realize now as a grown up and, and having done a lot of work around the Enneagram and other things as an Enneagram four, I was probably always going to feel like that. Like, cause fours always feel like we're just different and fundamentally flawed um, in some way. Like there's just something wrong with us. But as a kid, that was, that was a real struggle. Just lots of loneliness, um, lots of feeling like I never really had the same experience that other kids were having. Um, the good parts of that though were um, because we were doing the work that we were doing, I got to kind of be partners with my parents in a lot of that. So I got to learn a lot of really valuable um, ministry skills and administrative skills from a young age. Um, the work that my dad was doing um, kind of invited groups of college students, um, youth groups from all over the country to come down in the summers and spring breaks to work with him and plant these churches, kind of keep these ongoing ministries going. And so I got to meet people from all over the place. And that was really cool to have like these best friends and these really intense relationships for just a week or two and then kind of never see them again. Um, that felt normal to me. And I realize now that that is really not normal. Um, so yeah, just a uh, a lot of loneliness, a lot of feeling different, but also having these really intense spiritual experiences that most people my age didn't get to have. Yeah, and th that last thing you said there is like that. I thought that was normal. Yeah, but it wasn't. But it's not but it's all. not at all normal. And that's <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. Sometimes that's kind of my perspective of you as you kind of walk through life mm -hmm. is just. You, you, so much unfazes you. It yeah. seems, you know, it seems like I know you struggle with some things, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you'll, you'll talk a little yeah. bit about that later, but just like, it's just, you can, you can hand Stacy some information or a situation and she just looks like totally unfazed. Like, Oh, this is normal. Like I've dealt with this a hundred times. And I wonder if that has anything to do with sure just does. the variety of, things that are not quote normal that was yeah. just a regular part of your your growing up it's yeah. just water I said this when we talked before <laughs> like water off a duck's back it just kind of rolls off you know and uh and other people it, it, it could it could it could totally destroy their their mental state at the moment or something yeah and then at the same time like things that maybe other people my age who lived in majority white culture um, maybe in other parts of the United States and kind of got to go through the things that most people got to do, like their school experience or growing up in one town with the same people for most of their lives, long-term friendships. Those things are real struggles for me. So after I graduated from high school um, in a remote situation, so I'm even a pro on virtual school. If you, need, if you need help and know that someone can turn out remotely normal, 
from doing remote school. <laughs> it can happen. Um, I went to I went to a regular university. I mean, well, it was a Christian university, so it wasn't regular, but um, I had the regular college experience, and that was really. I mean, it was mind boggling. I moved from South Texas, where I had lived most of my life, where I was usually the minority culturally in color, all those things, to Mississippi, where I went to a predominantly white school in a predominantly black state, and everyone like went to the tanning bed and had blonde hair. And I felt like an alien again, again. I had grown up always feeling like an alien, and there I was in college trying to have this regular experience. Um, and again, everything was strange and different. So Yeah, and it also um, so Mark's Mark Minyard says homeschooler, homeschooler, another homeschooler here. And my homies, um, <laughs> Brenda. All my <laughs> tapes are recorded from the radio yep. too. I, I did that too. I didn't necessarily have to hide them, but yeah. um, I had a friend who was really into that. It was it was kind of weird, but um, yeah, just uh, some of the things you said. I feel like those define Christ City as well. Mm-hmm. Like it makes so much sense as yeah. we, you know get to hear from different elders and how much of our experiences are like that. Like we just don't, don't like fit quite fit the mold, you know, that, uh, that so many other places can, can plug and play and, and people's, people's experiences. And I think that that's a real asset, um, to have your perspective of somebody who knows what that feels like in so many different ways. And so I want to ask you next kind of about, the experiences uh, with with God in the midst of those things, mm-hmm. and you know, we're our background at, at Christ City, and most of our backgrounds are in Protestant churches that have an emphasis on knowing God by knowing, you know, the Bible, um, and with a certain type of uh, preaching and things like that, and. A lot of us have gravitated towards Christ City because we have a little bit of a broader, you know, perspective on on ways that you can encounter God, and I think that that fits a lot with with your history and your experiences with God. So I'd just like to hear um, some about that, you know, yeah. through your childhood and what that was like on the border and you know, in the two different cultures there. Yeah. Um, so let me say first that I feel like. Now that I'm an adult and I can kind of observe and I've traveled a lot, I've worshipped in a lot of places, something that is unique to American Christians is the sense that we've kind of got the market cornered on how to do worship the right way. Um, And even though there is some diversity in Protestant America in like the actual ways that we worship, um, we approach worship and Christianity and faith in the way that Americans approach most everything. There's like, it's like a hustle. You know, like Americans are always trying to like hustle and be successful at things. And so I feel like most Christians that I've met outside of Chris City, because honestly, he's you're right. Like we're all a bit we're kind of the misfits sometimes. Um, But I feel like most American Christians spend more time trying to be like on brand with Jesus than actually like experiencing him and just like knowing him in other ways. So. That was not necessarily my experience growing up. And even though I've been in mostly white Baptist churches for like the majority of my life, I have had a lot of experiences that are cross-cultural or bilingual or outside the regular choreography of American worship. And when you start taking those things away, 
those things that make you feel comfortable or like you're doing worship successfully. Um, talk about like a common language or songs that we all know or scripture that we've all read or like sacraments that we're comfortable taking. Then you start having to rely on like just your own humanity to experience God. Like what, what is the hardware that's already been installed in me that I can use to access the Holy Spirit right now? And so even from a young age, I was, I was observing, I was using my body, I was watching people, I was kind of picking up on, for lack of a better word, vibes from other people who were all experiencing the Holy Spirit in a collective way, even though we did not necessarily all know what the other person was saying or singing or preaching. Um, services in a mission setting are often really clunky. They're not carefully coordinated. There's not nice background music most of the time. Um, there's an awkwardness to it that you ha it takes some time to get over. But God shows up in those situations when different cultures are pushed together because I think God really loves us all awkwardly experiencing our humanity together. Um, and so from a young age, that's how I've experienced God primarily, almost through instinct and emotion more than teaching or songs or, like I said, the choreography of how we worship in America. So I don't know if that fully answers the question, but there's just something really, really special about our natural biology and psychology pointing to the creator without anybody pulling strings, any sort of worship leader telling you this is how the steps you take to experience God. Yeah. Can you, um, you said so much, so much great stuff there, like worrying about being on brand with Jesus. I've, I've never heard that phrase before, <laughs> but that's, Whatever uh, brand Jesus had. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of... <laughs> the fact of, that we even think there was, there was a brand. Yeah, yeah. But that, 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 um, that phrase, mm -hmm. there's a lot to, uh, that you can unpack yeah. there. But can you remember like a specific moment where you felt like you were connecting with God in one of those... Like, can you just paint yeah. a little bit of a picture for us about yeah. what, what a moment like that looked like and felt like for you and maybe about how old you were when that yeah. was happening? Um, so I remember kind of a lot of experiences that fall into what I'm going to describe because, like I said, most of my summers and spring breaks were filled with these groups coming from somewhere in the United States to come down and work um, with these church plants. And we tended to work with the same churches year after year, kind of ongoing ministry. And the one I remember most distinctly was, so this I lived in McAllen, Texas, and just across the border is a city called Reynosa in the state of Tamaulipas, Mexico. If you look on your map, it's probably there on any U.S. map. Um, but a lot of people come up from Central America and Mexico and kind of wash up against the borders because they want to seek a better life. And they end up just kind of squatting there in these communities of these border towns. And there was one kind of along a canal in the city. And um, during the daytime, we would do like VBSs or like soccer with the kids and in the evenings, there'd be these services, and they were usually pretty late because it was so hot, so we'd wait till it started to get dark. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of awkwardness to, like, sitting in weird folding chairs along a canal outside of, like, a church building or anything. Um, but I remember several experiences when I was maybe 12 through 15, like, old enough to really start experiencing God in a real way, but young enough to still kind of believe in the magic of it, um, which I feel like has really stuck with me. And I just remember, um, it, it might have been my dad or it might have been somebody else preaching and there was translating going on. Um, and maybe somebody was playing a guitar in the background. And 
it's the summer and it's it's like 110 degrees and we're in this like squatter camp against a canal and like how bad it smelled but then like a breeze coming through there and kind of everyone collectively feeling the relief of a breeze on their skin after a really hot day and kind of hearing the word of God wash over me. I, I don't know if that paints enough of a picture of what I was feeling at that time, but there's just such a reality to that, to like, God can really make himself known to anyone, anywhere, just in, just in nature, just by providing the relief of a cool breeze after a really hot day and hearing comforting words spoken over you. Yeah, it reminds me of um, some of the Psalms, you know, yes. and how the psalmist is talking about the how you make barren land. Yeah, mm-hmm. the dry, barren land, and you make your wonders known yes. through all the, and the psalmist will recount all mm-hmm. these natural wonders and yeah. how, you know, God's presence is seen in those mm-hmm. things. And it, it makes me think of so uh, some of you that, that know Stacy more uh, than others might know that. She has kind of a prophetic word gift type of thing going on, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's it's directly connected to um, this ex- these experiences that you had and have with God. Mm-hmm. Where you know, for me, I can remember there being a really clear distinction when I was growing up between like something that was secular, which I wouldn't even have known these words, you know, but something that's secular and something that's that's spiritual or christian or you know divine and that those things you know playing outside in my backyard was not that you know it wasn't that thing i had to concentrate and try really hard to do something spiritual Mm -hmm. um and 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 that doesn't seem like that seems more of just who you are that that's that there's no divide between those things and so I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about, you know, what that experience is like when you feel like you have a, uh, you have a word that feels like it's divine or from God. And, you know, just let us know a little bit about, you know, that, that whole side of things for you. Yeah. So like I've talked about, I, I was always kind of the other kid. I never really fit anywhere. And so my experience growing up, even though I had a pretty happy childhood, I was really lonely. I know that word now. I know that that's what I was experiencing. Um, there's a lot of loss in moving frequently or not having long-term friendships. And the way that I worked through those is just by talking to God. And, you know, for you, it might feel like you're talking to yourself or you just kind of have a running commentary in your head. But for me, it has always felt like God is so close and so intimately part of the air that I breathe that for me that's what prayer has always looked like so there's this connection that whatever I'm doing I just have this incredibly close friendship with a God that is not going to leave a God that's not going to pick me up and transplant me somewhere else Um, a God who is always there and part of the everyday activities that I'm doing Um, and one way that I like to describe how the presence of God feels to me or how it feels when God's speaking to me or when he's drawing near is like, um, if you've ever lived in an intimate setting with somebody so much so that, you know, the sound of their footsteps in the other part of your house. So like maybe it was, you know, the sound of your mom walking down the hall at night to come kiss you goodnight, or maybe it's 
like I know the way that Brandon shuts the door when he arrives, and so I know it's him coming in and not one of the kids. Um, or maybe it's a roommate or, or a lo- another loved one that you have, and you're just intimately acquainted with the rhythm of how they sound, how their presence feels in the room with you or in the house with you. That's kind of how God feels to me. So when I'm working through something, when I'm praying or kind of mulling over something and trying to process it, I know when he's speaking to me because that rhythm is really, really familiar to me. And I think some of that, you know, the word prophecy is kind of a scary word. And I don't know that I haven't, I haven't used it for myself until the last few years because the tradition that I grew up in, um, in Southern Baptist, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone actually prophesy in the way that we're talking about in a church. And the word prophecy is sometimes used to mean like truth telling or bold speaking or something like that. Um, for me, it's always been like, I just know stuff that other people don't know. And even as a kid, that was true. I could look in the room and I knew who the person that was the most hurting was, or I knew who the dangerous person was. Just a kind of a deep instinct of knowing. Um, Didn't always feel the boldness to say those things and speak them out until more recently in life. But I think that prophecy is a spiritual gift that some receive in the body of Christ and others don't. But I think another half of that is just lived experience and having observed and been part of enough churches and organizations to kind of make a really informed guess about how things are going to go, just a familiarity with human nature. So those two things coming together mean that I often have a lot of confidence to be able to speak and and say, this is what I think is going to happen, or this is what I feel like God is saying right now. Um, But it comes with, you know, long years of familiarity and working out and building an intimate relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't sound different what you just described from that picture that you painted for us Mm -hmm. uh, about being next to the canal and having really like just your humanity Mm -hmm. to connect with God. So it was like, again, you know, with you and, and, and how you operate in your story, it's just like, there's just, you've, you said it when we talked earlier this week that the veil is thin. Yes. You know, and what we mean by that is, you know, there's this idea of even in the world, there's this idea in different cultures of thin places, Mm -hmm. like where you're more likely to encounter divinity Mm -hmm. in these certain places in the world. Um, But it seems like because of the experiences you've had, that that isn't related to any geographical place for you, you know. But so, oh, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I do feel like I I have this, I have the developed senses to know God and sense Him and feel Him anywhere, and I do think that that's something that can be learned and practiced. Um, but there are some geographical places where, you know, I feel like the veil is thinner than others. Um, that was a reason why I was a big fan of us moving our services to Central Christian because it felt like to me, a really sacred place where people had worshiped for years. And not that the presence of God was any bigger or any stronger there, but there I think is a safety and um, a richer experience sometimes in those thin places. Yeah. So does that mean that like, you know, you've kind of got it all together, you know, mentally and, you know, that you're, you know, you're walking through life on an even keel all the time and kind of just have this you know, connection and just kind of float through life like that? Or? It definitely does not mean that. 
Um, so I, I deal with mental illness, and I think most of you who know me fairly closely have heard me talk about this. I talk about it on social media a lot because I find that talking about it um, releases a lot of pressure and I think normalizes struggles that most people deal with to some level. Um, I struggle with depression, and I have since I was 12 or 13, since I was pretty young. Um, it's a biological thing, a chemical thing. Um, it runs in my family. And it just means that sometimes the world can feel like, or, or my world at least, can feel like a really dark place. Um, and it's probably one of the reasons I began to reach out and speak with God the way that I did from a young age, just not really knowing how to talk about that. Um, now it's, it's safe and normal and like um, appropriate to talk about mental health with just about anybody, even in the workplace. But when I was growing up, it wasn't. And um, my dad's dealt with it. Other people in my family have dealt with it. And it wasn't really normalized to talk about it. So I feel like now, um, and as an adult, I kind of am carrying a couple of like spectrum adjacent things that I deal with as well related to sensitivity and, and sensory processing that I'm just now learning about. Um, but I think that like neurodivergence, which is the word that we use to talk about people whose brains kind of operate in a different way. Um, I kind of think that's a superpower at this point because it kind of feels like I just see things in a really different way. And it's not that I'm like more special than anybody else. It's just that I was created in a, a fearful and wonderful way. And I can see things that other people don't see because I'm sensitive to things that other people are not sensitive to. So I love talking about that with people. Um, I love talking about it with God, but it definitely means that life and community and life and intimate relationships can be a really hard and dark place for me. Um, and I see it as my privilege to maybe help help others with the fear of that, of walking through those dark places. Because I'm able to sit with people in a really dark space. And like you said, it kind of rolls off of me because I've been there before. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that, Stacey. One, just because, you know, I mean, you said you, you talk about it a lot, but I still think it's, you know, there's some risk involved anytime you share something vulnerable. Yeah. So thank you for that. And then also I I think it's a gift that gives people in our church permission mm -hmm. to be able to talk about whatever stuff that they're dealing with and to know that it's not um, because the, I think part of human nature, but part of uh, religion in general is kind of this idea of like, well, I'll get myself together. Or I'll kind of show my best face mm -hmm. and God will like that. Like yeah. in the phrase, phrase like God don't like ugly. I don't know if you ever <laughs> heard that's I think a Southern, it might just be a black, a, a black Southern thing, but um, you know, but that idea that you kind of, once you get together yeah. and you get regulated, right, then you could hear from God, then you could be, right. you know, useful or a leader or yeah. whatever. And it goes back into that, like, American Christians love feeling like they're being successful yeah. at faith. Yeah. Like it's something that you can win at yeah. or something. Yeah. And I just never learned how to play that game by those rules. Yeah. Because of how I grew up. Yeah. Um, and so it's actually a shock to my system being in churches that feel that way. Yeah. It feels incredibly false. Yeah. Yeah. You never learned how to win. No. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. In, a, in, in, in various ways. Well, um, I wish, you know, I wish we could just kind of talk however, you know, however long. Maybe we'll do that sometime, do a podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, but uh, I, I wanted to to ask you a couple of questions about 
just thinking about Christ City and uh, all the people listening and, uh, you know, your perspective on, on where we are as a church. So the first question about that is in the midst of sitting here virtually and doing this, and we're trying to navigate kind of all these things going on in the world, uh, not being together very often. Uh, what do you think actually the opportunities are for Christ City at the stage we're in right now? Yeah, so first of all, if if you're here, if you're part of Christ City, you've been here for a long time, or maybe you're just tuning in um, because life in the pandemic has made you unsatisfied with the faith experience you've had so far, um, I'm really happy that you're here. I'm really glad that you're here because Christ City is a safe and healthy place. Um, and I want you to feel like you're welcome to be here. And we're an honest group of people that's trying to work things out together. So I'm glad that you're here. I really feel very deeply that 2020 and the seasons surrounding it and everything related to it, from uh, the global pandemic to the political situation we find ourselves in in America and even across the world, um, racial tension, um, opportunities for activism, the climate that we have right now, and literally like our physical plant, like our planet is literally on fire right now. Um, a lot of things built by man are going to cease to be after this season. I feel like it's, it's like, like a little ice age of sorts. Um, and a lot of things just aren't going to survive. Christ City is going to survive. And I think that we're going to survive because we're real and we have already built a way to do faith and do life outside of the normal choreography of churches. Um, we are already built to thrive in unique circumstances. So being here and participating in what we're doing, I feel like is going to be one of the better, one of the better choices that you've made in your life. Um, if you choose to be on, on board with us. Um, and I don't know where I was going with that kind of got carried away a little bit. Um, Having Jamin in the leadership role right now, I think, is really special um, because we have an opportunity to step into activism with him. I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, I think because we are a healthy body of people who want to be active in our city, we have an opportunity to feed and clothe the poor and take care of people. Um, there are going to be a lot of church refugees um, kind of out there looking for a place to practice their faith in a real way because, like I said, this the way the world is right now can really strip away your ability to feel successful and to feel close to God. And we can be a home for those people. So I think those are our opportunities right now. Well, if you didn't understand what the prophetic gift that Stacy has looks like, you just experienced <laughs> it. So thank you from, for that, Stacey. Um, you, uh, you give so much encouragement and, and legs to things in a, in a vision sort of way. And it's, uh, it's really valuable um, and uh, just very encouraging. Thank you. So uh, last question. Okay. And this is similar to the first, so you can just kind of riff more on any, any of those things that you were saying, but what is your hope uh, for Christ City? So you kind of talked about, you know, the opportunities, but what is your hope? for us as we engage in those things, um, thinking about individuals, thinking about our partners, thinking about just 
um, our presence uh, in in our city and in our world? What's your hope? Yeah, so um, I don't necessarily believe in like the idea of like a life verse or like one part of the Bible that's like yours and yours alone and or anything, but I have a really special connection to Hebrews 10, 23. I thought you were going to say Jeremiah 29, 11. No, I was not. <laughs> I can do all things. No, uh, Hebrews t- uh, 10, 23 uh, is just a verse about God's faithfulness, and it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, because he who promised is faithful. And the faithfulness of God is, um, I-, I feel like that's just like the resounding theme that I've experienced over and over in my life. Uh, my favorite hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness. I love it. I love every verse of, of that song, and it really speaks to me. And I just, I really hope that our people at Christ City get to experience the faithfulness of God in this season. Um, I hope that that they're able to realize and experience how near God is. Um, you know, talking back to the earlier part of our conversation about, like, hearing the footsteps of God in the other part of your house and knowing he's there there has never been a time in my life through any situation of hurt or loss or longing or unrequited love or any other hard thing where I did not call out, where I called out to God and he did not come running immediately because he is faithful and he wants to be with us. That's, he created us to have communion with him. That is the entire reason that we exist are to be companions to God. And so my hope is that the people of Christ City can experience how near God is and how much they love him or how much he loves them, sorry, um, and experience their own love for him in return, I suppose. But just to know that God is faithful and that he's with them um, and that he loves them deeply. Thank you so much, Stacy. Hey, y'all, Stacy is going to be preaching soon. I am, and I'm terrified. Yeah, what's what's the date? Do you know it off the top of your head? Uh, it's the second Sunday if, in October. The second second Sunday in October, so... October 4th is the first. Okay. So it's the 11th. Something like that. Yeah. So uh, excited about that. Excited to hear hear more from Stacy and to lean more into into the gift that she has for a, a prophetic word. And I agree with you, Jillian. Um, the the honest and beautiful conversation with the elders. I'm really thankful for uh, the opportunity to do this. And just even, you know, there's so many good things that can come out of uh, things being stripped away. And this, Absolutely. this is one of them. Yep. And so I just want to remind you guys to show up next week for the birthday service. It's going to be a wonderful time together, 930 Overton Park. There'll be, you know, details. You'll see it on social media. If you're not, if you don't get our weekly newsletter, comes out every Thursday morning. Make sure that you send us your email if you want to get on that. And um, partners meeting at 5 p.m. today. Stacy will be there. I will. <laughs> I'll be giving some very exciting and prophetic financial reports. Yes. <laughs> really good stuff. Uh, so... Um, Stacey, how do you feel about saying a prayer or a blessing on, on the way out I here? can do both of those things. Okay. All right. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for your presence with us, even when we're not gathered physically. We know that you're here with us um, because we want you here with us and because you want to be with us. And we thank you for being near. I pray that the people of Christ City would know that nearness in whatever way that that means something to them. 
um, that they would call and you would come running to them in their darkness and in their hurt or pain. Um, we thank you, Lord, for um, your faithfulness in changing seasons, um, in the physical changing seasons, the, the cooler mornings and evenings, and also the changing seasons that we see as humans on this earth. Um, and we know that you're bigger than any of it, and we thank you for being bigger than any of it. And Lord, I pray that you would bless Christ City, that you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them, um, that you would give us all a great restful Sunday and a peaceful night of sleep. And Lord, please let our kids sleep all the way through the night so that we can fully rest uh, before another hard week of virtual schooling. Thank you, God. Amen.